Today's scripture lesson is from Luke 14, verses 7 through 14. And if you want to follow in, your, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 67. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said this also to the one who had invited him. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So I want to begin by just saying good morning, and it is good to be together on this Labor Day weekend. You could be up in the mountains hiking or any other place away from here, but you chose to be here, and I am grateful. So on Labor Day weekend, this means that we can no longer wear white until Memorial Day, or at least that's what the fashionistas say. And I know that for those who started back to school in the past few weeks, that this is a welcomed three-day break. So this weekend, we relax, and we host backyard cookouts, and we shop the sales, and we get in one last hurrah before settling into our more routine weekly rhythms. So as we all sigh together a collective sigh, Labor Day weekend signifies the unofficial end to summer. But before we rush into the fall, I want to take a moment and pause to share some of my own reflections on my own summer. Throughout these past three months, I have accompanied youth as we've traveled to Miami and to Highlands Camp, as well as Purdue, Indiana, to attend Triennium with the delegation of Denver youth, as well as three of our own. So let me just say that I have a pretty awesome job. There are great stories that I can share from each of these destinations, like visiting the Children's Detention Center in Homestead, Florida, and witnessing the empathy and compassion that our youth shared to their peers across a fence as we watched them connect and bond with heartfelt love and a true recognition for one another. Or I could go on about being with our middle school youth at Highlands Camp, where they spent a week restoring and painting over half a mile of fence line. The youth were so dedicated that they opted out of the afternoon work activities to continue their work on the fence in the afternoons. And be assured that we had some fun too. We went hiking to hidden rooms, and we went rock climbing and go-karting, and we ate the largest pizza that I have ever seen. 
I could also tell you about being part of the crowd of 4,000 youth who gathered in Purdue at Triennium, this every three-year youth conference of Presbyterian youth, as they sang the Gunger song about being beautifully made out of dust. But instead, it's two stories from my time in Puerto Rico that I want to focus on this morning, and how a forgotten community offered a glimpse of the kingdom values that were shared in our gospel lesson that was read today. This morning's gospel text starts out reading a little bit like an Emily Post article. We are placed in the room with Jesus as he sits as an invited guest around the dinner table of a Pharisee. And as all the other guests begin to take their seats, Jesus offers his disciples just one basic ground rule of politeness when dining at another's home. When we receive an invitation to share in the table of another, Jesus says that we should come with no expectation, no intent to grasp at the seat of honor, from which Jesus says that we might even be ejected from. When approaching the table, Jesus says our stance is to be one of humility, a posture that relieves room for surprise and grace. So this summer, as I had the opportunity to travel to Puerto Rico as part of a delegation of Presbyterian ministers and lay leaders who came by the invitation of the moderator of the synod there, Jose Gonzalez. And the invitation that was extended was to listen to and to walk with and to learn from the Puerto Rican people who are still recovering from Hurricane Maria, a Category 5 hurricane that had struck the island in September of 2017. This delegation was invited with the hope that we would leave with a greater understanding of the struggles of the Puerto Rican people within and as well as apart from climate change and natural disasters. So prior to Hurricane Maria, I have to admit that Puerto Rico was barely in my conscious. I had somewhat of a sense geographically of where it was, and I knew that it was a territory or that is a territory of the U.S., but I actually knew very little of what that meant. I learned that Puerto Rico is among the oldest colonies in the world. For 405 years, Puerto Rico was a colony of Spain until the U.S. acquired it in 1898. In 1917, the Jones Act was passed, which granted Puerto Ricans U.S. citizenship. And as recent as 1952, Puerto Rico became a commonwealth in the United States, which allowed them to adopt a local constitution. However, this did not change the status of Puerto Rico as a territory, it leaves the U.S. Congress with ultimate control over the island. So while the Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens and they carry U.S. passports, as a territory they are unable to vote in national elections, nor are they given a vote in Congress. Spending time on the island and listening and learning from the local people, I learned just how much of a colonial relationship the U.S. has imposed upon their people. How two years after Hurricane Maria, they are still in recovery with an estimated 30,000 homes with blue tarps as roofs. And this number does not take into account another 30,000 homes that have applied for blue tarps. Like Miche, 
who was the church sexton where I stayed and who was unable to receive assistance because he can't find the deed to his home. When Puerto Rico has been largely forgotten and neglected through our tenuous history as landlords, what I learned during my time there went far beyond the history and the practical resources to recovery and responses to recovery. The Puerto Rican people taught me what humility looks like in the face of oppression and climate threats. They taught me that true humility brings joy and liberation, and it draws us closer to one another. So the day before our anticipated arrival, each of the members of the delegations, we received an email informing us that protests were taking place on the island, but we were assured by the leadership that they were confident in our safety. However, we should expect to be flexible with our plans since there was some uncertainty about how these protests might impact our time together. And so I arrived in Puerto Rico in the midst of a revolution. Just a few weeks earlier, over 800 pages of text messages from a private chat group between the governor and his aides and his closest friends were leaked. And these messages made light and fun of those who had died in the hurricane, as well as made insults against the LGBTQ community and journalists and individuals. There was evidence for corruption charges. And as many of the Puerto Rican people were still frustrated with life on the island and struggling to recover from the financial crisis they were experiencing and the hurricane, people began to call for the resignation of their governor. So I arrived Sunday night, and we learned that there would be an island-wide strike and a protest on Sunday morning, or on Monday morning. Our host, who had invited us there, had invited us to walk with them and to learn from them. And so with their blessing and encouragement, we decided to join them in their protests. On Monday morning, we headed out and we joined 1.2 million people of the island's 3.2 million total who showed up, taking every lane of San Juan's major highway, And as I walked alongside the Puerto Ricans on that highway, I hadn't yet heard the stories of what it was like to live without power or water for two months, and for some for three months, for others for four months, and for some up to nine months. I hadn't yet experienced the tears that would be shed every time someone told us how difficult it was to apply for aid or what it was like to fear for their elderly parents. I didn't know of all the ways that the Puerto Rican people would come together to care for one another, sharing their generators and food and compassion. Humility has often been used in a way synonymous with self-deprecation or being submissive to the point of degrading our own emotions and needs to focus on other people. Roberta Bondi, however, offers us a different perspective. She looks back to the wisdom of the desert mothers and fathers in her book, To Love as God Loves. And she points out for them, humility did not mean continuous cringing or cultivating a low self-image and taking perverse pleasures and being always forgotten or unnoticed or taken for granted. 
Instead, humility meant for them a way of seeing other people as being valuable in God's eyes as much as we are valuable ourselves. It was for them a relational term, having to do precisely with learning to value others, whoever they were. And it had to do with developing a kind of empathy with the weakness of others that made it impossible to judge out of our own self-righteousness. So as we marched the route that Monday morning, I felt this joyous spirit in the air, unlike any other protest that I have participated in. After years of oppression and years of recession, and after the trauma of the recovery of Hurricane Maria, the Puerto Rican people could have brought anger and indignation to the streets. And instead, they wore t-shirts with the symbol of the raised fist on the front of the bulletin cover, showing their unity and their power as people. They brought simple kitchen utensils, pots and spoons, to bang to the beat of their chants. They brought this joyous, celebratory spirit. And four days later, the governor would resign. This march and this moment of political change was a surprise, and it would influence the rest of our time in Puerto Rico. That was Monday. So on Tuesday, order began back to normal, and we were able to make it to our first, um, our first site visit, which was about a two-hour drive away from San Juan to the mountain town of Anhuches. And like everywhere else in, San, in Puerto Rico, this small mountain city was plunged into total darkness by Hurricane Maria. And after the storm passed, people began to go out and assess the damages, and they found themselves without power and without water, and then they also discovered that they were completely cut off from the rest of the island. Roads were blocked by mounds of mud or by fallen trees and branches. Yet amid this devastation, there was one bright spot. Just off of the main square, there is a large pink colonial-style house, and it had a light shining through every window. This pink house we visited is known as Casa Pueblo. It's a community and an ecology center with deep roots in this part of the island. And so as we stepped into Casa Pueblo, it was like stepping into the gospel story itself. It was a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Casa Pueblo opened its doors in 1980 as a resistance movement against the mining industry. Its founder, Don Alexis Gonzalez, had worked in that industry, and he began to see the destruction that was caused by the extraction of the gold and the copper and the silver resources that were in the mountains around him. And the beauty and the biodiversity of the region was being threatened, as well as the local water source. Uh, it was becoming polluted. And so he decided to do something against this, to change this. And so his first organized events against the mines attracted exactly one person. At the root of humility is this Greek word humus. Humus is the organic component of soil. It's the earth. The earth that God made and God called good. The earth from which, as one of our creation stories goes, that God fashioned for us. 
Humility is our fundamental recognition that we draw our life and our breath from the same source, the God who made us and calls us beloved. Humility does not only prevent us from seeing ourselves as more deserving or graced or better than others, it compels us to recognize that we are no less deserving or graced or better than another. Humility draws us into mutual relation in which we allow no abuse and no demeaning, no diminishment of others or ourselves or creation. Through creativity and humility, Don Alexis continued to organize events. So when 15 years later, the government finally decided to permanently ban mining in Puerto Rico, more than 10,000 showed up to celebrate together with song, dance, and festivity. Over the next two decades, Casa Pueblo transformed itself into a center of sustainability and resilience. They've installed an off-grid solar system, they grow and they sell local produce, they market and they serve their own coffee, they provide a venue for artisan crafts, they teach new methods of agriculture, and they offer classes in a performance venue for art and music and their list of demonstration projects goes on. So when the island went dark after Hurricane Maria, the lights in Casa Pueblo were able to remain on. It became what Naomi Klein has called a self-sustaining solar oasis. Like moss to a flame, people from all over the mountains made their way to the warm and the welcoming light. Casa Pueblo quickly became the center of community renewal. The radios were able to remain on, and the food continued to be served, and emergency and health facilities were set up. FEMA applications, which could only be completed online, were able to be filed, filled out and filed, and neighbors could refrigerate life-saving medicine. As our group listened to Don Alexis outline the story of Casa Pueblo, it became clear to us that just as the miracle of a life-saving solar oasis and the wake of Hurricane Maria was the result of decades of visionary and humble work. The spontaneous protests calling for the governor's resignation that we were experiencing in the streets throughout Puerto Rico were simultaneously the result of decades of social movement work, including the demonstration projects at Casa Pueblo. Don Alexis told us that the vision of Casa Pueblo like the uprising that we had experienced in those recent weeks, began with two questions. First, is an alternative to Puerto Rico possible? And believing that answer to be a resounding and a necessary yes, the second question became, how do we do it? How do we bring it about? Casa Pueblo, he told us, is a lesson in how to make another world possible, a vision of God's kingdom. The day before, we had experienced joining in with one million people with joyousness and humility and dignity as people in Puerto Rico marched in the streets for this better world, showing that not only is it possible, but the time had come. Again and again, through stories like this one, throughout my time in Puerto Rico, the people continued to demonstrate that humility is not an act of belittling or exceptionalism or being first. It's being grounded 
and recognizing that our, at our cores, we are humus. We are inspired mud creatures that are made of dust of the earth, and to the dust of the earth we shall return. Thanks be to God.